Good morning, church. It is so good to be together, uh, even though we're not in the same physical space. As Patty mentioned, uh, the early church believed, and we believe with them, that where two or three are gathered, there is Christ in their midst. And so God is with us as we join together in worship this morning. Uh, so excited to share with you some uh, some patterns of the ways that the early church gathered that mirror the way that we gather today. Uh, And maybe that in the midst of that, as we look back at how the church uh, used to gather for worship, we might find hope in the midst of our current situation, our current displacement, our current unrest and anxiety. And so that is our hope for this morning. And I want to start with a question. I'm wondering if you have ever experienced being in a thin place. The, the, the Celtic church defines thin, thin places or thin spaces as a place where heaven meets earth. And there's just something transcendent about being in that place, about recognizing something, something holy and something sacred about being in that space. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a place like that. I did once, uh, more than once, but one time in particular that I want to share this morning. It was in, uh, in, in Texas, and it was in 2003. There was a gathering coming together uh, called One Day. And this was put on by the, the passion team, that uh, Louis Giglio and, and Chris Tomlin and, and some of those folks led this worship event, this, this praise event, this, this uh, gathering of God's people called One Day. And the hope was that people would come together and just worship the Lord and experience God's presence and be equipped for mission and ministry in the world. And this particular gathering was kind of geared toward younger folks. He did a lot of them back. I know, I know they're still doing them these days. Um, but this particular one I went to in Texas, and it was Memorial Day weekend in 2003. And I'll never forget because we were driving down there. Uh, I was living in Colorado at the time, and I drove down with a group of friends, and there were probably 15 of us or so that, that drove from Denver, Colorado down to, it was in Houston, outside of Houston, Texas. And as we were coming into Houston, uh, it was a long drive, obviously, from Denver to Houston. It was raining. And and as we got closer, you saw the clouds just start to gather. And and you saw and you felt the rain on the top of that 15-passenger van that we were in. Uh, And it was just, it was a huge storm. And the clouds were gathering and the rain was pouring and all of a sudden there was lightning around us and there were crashes of thunder. This is like right as we are pulling into the driveway where we were supposed to get situated and set up camp. So there are thousands of us gathering to come and worship the Lord, to be a part of this event where we're going to just offer ourselves to God and see what God might have for us. And we're coming into this place and, and it, was, it was a crazy storm. And there's lightning all around us. And we're like, I mean, I'm like looking at the roof of this van being like, I, don't, I mean, we've got rubber tires. Like, does that ground us? Are we cool here? Like if the lightning hits us, I, there was just something transcendent about that experience. Something about entering into that space that we could tell that this was going to be something bigger than any of us had imagined. We were entering into a thin space, a space where heaven meets earth, a space where God's spirit was present and active and about to do something amazing. 
And it was such a, it was such a cool experience. I, none of us were prepared for that. We're, we're pulling in again. We're supposed to set up camp. We're supposed to be like camping in tents. And there's thousands of us in line. And by the time we get to the front of the line, they decided, hey, uh, maybe it's not a good idea for anybody to sleep in tents tonight. So we're going to go ahead and send you away and come on back tomorrow. Well, we're coming in from Colorado, like all we have are tents. And so we all start talking, where are we going to stay? And one of our buddies had a, a friend who lived in the Houston area. So we called them up. We're like, hey, do you have room for like 15 of us to crash on your floor tonight while we wait for this rainstorm to pass? And so we did that. And, and, uh, and it was just, it was a crazy experience. We came back the next day and the conference began and it began with, with worship and praise and, and music and prayer and reading of scripture we got to this point uh, where Chris Tomlin had, had just written the song that we just finished singing. Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And Tomlin had just finished writing that song. He didn't even have a title for it yet. And he said, hey, I just, this has been on my heart. I just want to try this out with all of y'all. And, and thousands of us sang that chorus. And it was, again, it was a holy place. It was an experience of the, the movement of God's spirit that was bigger than any of us had anticipated or imagined was possible. There was something special about being in that place. And as we sang those words, it, we recalled the fact that those words come from Scripture. We hear about visions of God's heavenly throne and about the angels and, and saints singing God's praises eternally from before time through after time is finished. Uh, there is a chorus of praise to the Lord God Almighty. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And it was such a beautiful moment as we sang that chorus. Again, this is the first time that that song had ever been sung um, and we just couldn't stop singing. We kept singing, and he tried to stop several times. He's like, all right, kind of wrapping it up. You know how it is. The band kind of slows down. The instruments drop out. We sing with just our voices, and we just couldn't stop. We just kept going. It was a holy space. It was a thin space where heaven meets earth, where we joined in the eternal praise of God Almighty, and it was beautiful. And that's what I want us to be focused on today as we enter into whatever space you find yourself this morning. Whether you're on your couch, whether you're in your car listening, uh, whether you're watching later uh, in the evening and you're, and you're watching the service back online. We hope that as we gather as God's people, we come expecting God to meet us here. God's already here. Wherever you are, God is there. And that is the hope as we gather. That is, we gather with hope and we gather with expectation that God meets us as we join in worship. And we experience something of heaven on earth. We're in the midst of a, a series called Reimagining Church. And so today's focus is on worship, as Patty mentioned. And as we reimagine what church looks like in the midst of our disruption and our chaos and our anxiety, uh, it, it does us good to look back at the early church because there was plenty of disruption and chaos and anxiety in those first days of the church. And so what can we learn from their practices of how they met together? How did they meet? How did they encourage one another? And, and here's the interesting thing. As, as I've studied and, and, and Vern and Lori Beth and I have, have all talked about this as we've prepared for this sermon series, 
as we look back at the ways that the church used to gather, it wasn't very different from how we gather today. The the form of worship hasn't changed much. The early church, we read in Acts and, and other places that they would gather weekly and sometimes even more often, more frequently, they would gather together. And what they would do when they gathered was they would sing praises to God as we've done this morning. They would pray and offer prayers for one another and for the world. They would offer themselves in in worship as a response to uh, what they had heard proclaimed through the scriptures. They'd have a sermon. Um, one of the <laughs> one of the texts that we had on our on our questions for this week was a sermon that Paul preached. Uh, he went way beyond midnight, and some dude fell out of the window and died. And Paul went down and checked on him. I was like, "No, no, he's cool. We're good. I'm going to keep preaching. Um, I'm not going to preach quite that long here this morning." Uh, but this is, this is how the church has gathered historically. They gathered to sing, to pray, uh, to offer their gifts to God and to hear the word proclaimed and to be refreshed and, and, and invigorated to go and live as a part of God's kingdom and, and, and help bring about God's kingdom on earth, joining God in that mission. And so the, the form hasn't really changed. The location hasn't really changed all that much. I mean, there were central places for the early church to gather, uh, mostly in homes. And so there's something very ancient about the way that we are being forced to gather as God's church today. I know how much we all want to be in this space again. Or in in the Family Life Center and just experience being together as God's church. And being able to come together, see one another's faces as we lift our hands in praise. I Believe me, I know I know how much we all miss that. I miss seeing you and your faces here in this space. And yet, there's something beautiful about, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of not being able uh, to gather safely yet in the sanctuary, there is something powerful about gathering as God's church wherever we find ourselves. Whether it's in our homes or in our cars or, or outside or wherever it is, where two or three are gathered, God is with us in our midst. And so we cling to that promise this morning. And so the, the place where we gather, has, and in, again, in the early church, they had the temple where they would gather. And eventually, uh, as, as Christianity took off and, and, and became uh, more widespread throughout the world, places of worship were built just like the sanctuary. We continue to worship God there even today. And so, again, the, the place hasn't changed all that much. But there's one interesting thing that has seemed to shift just a little bit um, that, that I picked up on anyway in, in reading from um, this book uh, called, by Robert Weber called Ancient Future Worship. Ancient Future Worship, proclaiming and enacting God's narrative. And if anything has spurred an interest in you about how did the early church used to meet and what were they thinking and how did they gather, I I encourage you to read this book. It's really fascinating. He talks about how uh, the the, the thing, that the ways that we um, have focused on worship through the years has has slightly changed. So let me give you an example. As we got into the the Reformation, right, in the 1500s and, and beyond into the Enlightenment and in the 1600s, the, the focus of worship became on the, 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 the written word of God from Scripture. And, and that makes sense when you think about it, because that was the time when the printing press came around in the 1500s, and people were able to access a copy of God's word for themselves for the first time in human history. 
Right up to that point, uh, the, the word, God's word in scripture had been passed down through the oral tradition of, of telling the stories of God. Well, now we were at a point where people could actually hold the word of God in their hand and read it in their own native language. And so when people met for worship, they, they, they expected God to meet them in the word. And, and the focus was on the word and the focus was on the, the preaching. And that was kind of where we expected to experience God was in the word. And absolutely that happens. We believe that God's word is living and active and God meets us there and proclaims a new word for us uh, every, every time we read it. But then we got through uh, the, the, the Reformation, through the Enlightenment, and then the focus seemed to shift. And, and today, when you hear people talk about worship, a lot of times, I don't know what you think about, but when I hear people say, oh, I'm going to gather for worship, or, or if, I, if I'm talking to somebody else who's, who, who works in a church and says, oh, yeah, I'm a worship leader, there's, a, there's something about that, that that speaks to music. Right? And, so, and so worship has kind of become the, the focus of our worship, the, the, the focus of our understanding of how we meet with God um, in, in contemporary times has often been more linked to what kind of music is happening in the place where you're gathering. And how can I meet and experience God through the music? And again, there's nothing, just like meeting God through the word, there's nothing inherently wrong about that. There's nothing inherently wrong about uh, expecting to experience God in musical worship. And yet, uh, what the ancient church would have us remember, I think, this morning, is that when they gathered, they saw worship as everything. All of life was worship. And particularly as they gathered together— all of it was considered worship. They entered into this, this stream as we sang holy, holy, holy this morning. There's, there's this, this stream, this, this narrative of ongoing worship and praise that they would sort of step into as they gathered as God's people. And so it, it, it incorporated everything from when they met and greeted one another, uh, when they prayed their prayers when they, when they opened scripture, certainly, and read from the word, when they heard God's salvation story proclaimed. Um, but here is one of the biggest differences between the early church worship and, and today. They focused on God's salvation story and their role within that story, particularly as related to communion. And so every time they met, they, they often met around sharing meals. They would meet in one another's homes regularly and share meals together, followed by the Eucharist, the, the, the Thanksgiving, the communion. And they had an expectation that somehow, as they were gathered around God's table and shared the meal of bread and cup, that Jesus was present with them in that moment. And so they did that as often as they could. And the interesting thing about the, the early church, they didn't try to explain exactly how God was present. That came much later. The, the Catholic doctrine of, of transubstantiation, where the, 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 the bread and the wine are, are literally transformed into Jesus' body and blood. And, and, and then Luther had a different take on that in, in the Reformation and, 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 and said, no, it's just that God is present with us in it and through it and around it. Um, uh, Calvin came along and, and said, no, no, it's just the, the, the receiving communion is like a sign of God's kingdom and that's what it is. Uh, the early church didn't really get concerned with any of that stuff. 
The thing that they focused on was when we gather at a table with the gifts of bread and cup, Jesus meets us there. And that was the focus of their worship, meeting God and experiencing God, being a part of of God's bigger narrative of salvation. And so you would hear them express that, that narrative of salvation through all their prayers, through their liturgy, through their, uh, their, their spoken word, and certainly through, create, uh, through uh, communion. They would express that, that bigger story of God's salvation. So I'm going to try to walk us through that a little bit this morning uh, as we focus on how God meets us and, and, and uh, exp- our expectations for meeting with God, particularly through uh, the sacrament of Holy Communion. And so I'm, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to read from there this morning. First Corinthians chapter 10. And just a little bit of uh, background. The Corinthian church, we've mentioned this before, but the Corinthian church had some issues. And Paul was working to help them work through those issues as they, as they were meeting as a church for the first time. And, and, and so there's a couple of chapters in here that talk specifically about how do we meet uh, as the church and how do we worship together in a way that is, is helpful and, and glorifying to God and inclusive of everyone and, and allows us to experience God's presence and participate in the narrative of God's salvation. So that's kind of what uh, Paul is getting at here in these two chapters in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. uh, And we're going to read about specifically the focus on the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to read starting at, uh, at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Flee from the worship of idols. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one bread. And so Paul reminds the early church that, first of all, don't worship anything other than God. And that shouldn't be a surprising reminder, right? That's the first commandment, right? Don't have any other gods before you. Um, and that's a, just to name the difficulty in that. I think one thing we need to recognize is we are human beings who were created to worship. We were created to worship and we all worship something. We all worship something. And you can probably tell a little bit, you can learn a little bit about what it is that you worship by just reviewing your day. And how did you spend your time? How did you invest your energy and your resources? Uh, how, did you, uh, how did you spend your, your money? Where did you invest that? And in, in what, what are your priorities there? Um, that tells us what it is that we are worshiping as we, as we review that tape of how we, how we live our lives. Uh, we were made to worship. And Paul reminds us, God is first. Don't have anything else before God. He reminds the, the, the Corinthian church that you are God's people. And he calls them to remember the, the, the history of the people of Israel. And, and you can read through that a little bit before the verses that I read. Um, but, he, but the point that he gets to in this reading is that we are all united as the body of Christ. We're all united. One bread, one body. Now, 
I don't know how you feel as you scroll through social media and as you listen to the news and as you hear how Christians are uh, interacting with the rest of the world these days. It doesn't always feel particularly united. I don't know if you've experienced that. But the hope here this morning and, and, and the call to remember that Paul gives us is that we are united as the body of Christ. It's not something that we have to um, have to earn. It's not something that we can, can produce. It's something that is a given. When we meet and worship, we are united in Christ as one. I think that's important for us to remember here today, especially when all we see around us is division. We are united with Christ as one. That is the story of our salvation. And then finally, uh, sharing in the body and blood of Christ is a sharing in the story of salvation. It's a sharing in the story of salvation. It's a participation in Christ's mission and ministry on earth. As we share this bread and this cup, we are reminded, we are uh, once again entering into the story of God's salvation. And remember, salvation is accomplished, right? Jesus accomplished that on the cross through his life and, and death and resurrection. Salvation is accomplished. But we need to remember that when we gather as the church to worship, when we share in the body and blood of Christ, we are participating in, in God's bigger story of salvation. The, the early church understood this, that, that communion, that when we met for communion, we were participating in something bigger than ourselves. We were participating in a story that God started a long time ago and God will bring to completion when Jesus returns. That's what we're entering into. And so when, when they would meet, um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this from, from Acts chapter 2 in just a couple of weeks, but when they would meet for meals, they, they would sing together, as we said, they would pray together, uh, they would proclaim the word, and then they would participate in God's salvation story by sharing a meal of bread and wine. And I, I want you to listen now uh, to these words of in, in church, we call it the words of the institution, where God uh, instituted the Lord's Supper. I want you to hear these words. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the next chapter from where we were just reading. And I want you to listen to these words. I know you maybe have heard them before, um, but I want you to listen to them with a particular ear toward hearing the overarching story of God's salvation throughout history. So let's listen to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. This is Paul speaking, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as you listened to those perhaps familiar words, maybe they're not familiar, but I, I just encourage you to be thinking about it. And I want to look at some of these phrases that are used in that uh, institution of the Lord's Supper. First of all, uh, and see how they're connected to the bigger picture of God's salvation story. Paul says, I received and I handed on to you what I learned from Jesus. And so again, there's this, this aspect of recalling God's story of salvation through the life of Jesus and passing that along. And so we're participating in God's salvation story. They're retelling it. Um, it, it says that he took, Jesus took a loaf of bread. 
And so it's important to remember that Jesus was celebrating with the, with the disciples on that Thursday. He was celebrating a Passover meal. And by doing so, by looking at the Passover, they were recalling God's salvation through the Exodus story. And in sharing that meal, that Passover meal, they were remembering that they were once slaves in Egypt. And Moses came and and went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go so that they may worship God. And God showed up and God delivered them to the promised land. And and we celebrate that deliverance and that salvation. Uh, At least Jesus' people did at that time by recalling the Passover meal and remembering that story of how, hey, we were slaves. God heard us cry out. God met us and God delivered us into the promised land. And so every time you receive that meal, we remember that salvation story. So there's already this rich history uh, in in sharing communion of of understanding what what sacrifice and what what blood uh, meant for for those people. The the blood of Jesus reminded them of the blood that they put on the door posts so that that they would be spared uh, through the plagues. And they would experience God's salvation. So there's a, there's a history of sacrifice, of, of, of redemption, woven into celebrating that meal together uh, that Jesus was remembering and celebrating with his disciples on that night. Um, this week, uh, my middle daughter, uh, Anne, well, my youngest daughter, Anne, my middle child, Anne, who is uh, seven years old, uh, at dinner, we were, we were just having dinner as a family, and we, like, there was nothing special about it. We were just in the middle of dinner. And all of a sudden, Anne says, uh, she says, I feel sorry for God. Okay. Um, what, what's, that, what's that all about? Why do you feel sorry for God? She says, because God is in everything, right? I said, well, sure. We can see signs of God all around us. We can see God uh, in the beauty of nature and creation. All the, yeah, of course. God is, God, God's glory is all around us. God is in everything. She says, so... So God is in everything, and we're eating right now. So we're eating God. <laughs> I, was, I was like, as a matter of fact, you could look at it that way. Um, in fact, that's how the early church looked at the practice of, of communion, was <laughs> eating God. So I should have brought her with me this morning. I don't know if it's to help. Pre- that, that little one can, can preach. Um, <laughs> she cracks me up. Feel sorry for God because we're eating God. But that is what we're doing when we gather at at Jesus' table, is we're eating the body and blood of Christ to be refreshed, renewed, strengthened in our faith, reminded of God's salvation story, and and called to remember and and, and participate in it. In the words of the institution, it goes on to say, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. This would imply that there was an old covenant, right? This is Jesus recalling the story of the old covenant when God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. This covenant that God says, I will not leave you or forsake you, but I will be your God and you will be my people. That, that's one of the things that we remember and celebrate as we, as we meet with Jesus for this meal of communion. But now Jesus is saying there's a new covenant, there's a new way that the relationship between God and humanity is defined. And, and Jesus comes to, to live that out, to enact that uh, for salvation for the whole world. And that's what, we, that's what we celebrate when we're meeting for communion. And then finally, uh, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. I wonder, what do you remember 
about celebrating communion. When you gather for worship to celebrate communion, what is it that you remember? How do you, how, what do you think about when you gather to celebrate communion? Is it just a, a ritual that the church does once a month on the first Sunday? Is it just something that like extends the time of the word? I mean, I'm going to be really hungry on the first Sunday because I know we're going to do communion. <laughs> uh, is that what it is? Like, does that, is that what it, it is for you? For me, um, I remember growing up, I grew up in a church that uh, seemed to only emphasize the remembrance part in reflection of Jesus's death and our sin that put Jesus on the cross. And that is absolutely an appropriate way to remember the Lord's Supper when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. But I think we also miss out on, again, that that bigger picture of salvation and what God was doing when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf for our sins. God was going there to defeat death forever and allow us to, to participate in God's salvation story in a new way. And that's what Jesus was inviting us to remember when he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so communion is a party. It is a celebration. It is an admittance of our sin and our, the things that we do to get in the way of, of our relationship with God. But it is also a proclamation. It says, when you, when you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is a celebration. Jesus is coming. And we celebrate that when we gather to meet with bread and cup. We celebrate God's salvation story, that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus defeated death and sin and all the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with God. And we have a chance to remember that and celebrate that together. And the early church really focused on that when they met for communion. Because again, at the the time, they believed that Jesus' return was imminent. It was coming right now. And so when they met, they couldn't wait to celebrate the Lord's Supper because it was an understanding that Jesus would meet them there. Jesus would remind them of all of the ways that God has worked through history to save them. Jesus would remind them in the midst of their destruction and their persecution and their, their sin and, and their, and their uh, anxiety and their fears that Jesus was with them through it all. And that's what it meant to gather in worship. It meant to, to participate in God's salvation story. And to recognize God's presence among us. And so they couldn't wait to celebrate communion and experience God's presence. And proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection. And to party like it was the end of the world. Because Jesus is coming back to do exactly that. To set the table for a wedding celebration for all of humanity. For all time. And join us forever with him in heavenly worship and allow us to participate in that holy, holy, holy chorus where we sing God's praises forever and ever and where everything is made right. That's what we do when we, when we celebrate communion. We enter into that story. We remember that story and we remember where that story is going. It's not just a somber funeral that we gather to celebrate and remember Jesus' death. It is a joyful proclamation That because of Jesus' death, we live forever. And God meets us there. 
There's a story about God's presence um, that I just haven't been able to escape this week. God's presence and God's meeting us, uh, meeting with us. And it comes, from, uh, it comes from Luke chapter 24. And so this one is not going to be on your screen. Um, I thought in this series of, of reflecting on the way that the early church did uh, worship together, um, I'm pretty sure they didn't have words on the screen when they read scripture together. I can't, I can't verify that for sure, um, but I think that is true. And so I'm going to invite you to enter into this story with me as I read it. And you hear the ways that God was present to some of the first disciples and with them and, and, God, and the ways that God revealed uh, himself through Christ. So this is a story from Luke chapter 24. It's the, it's the road, it's the walk to Emmaus. And I know what an important part of, uh, of so many people's faith journeys in this church uh, has been the Emmaus walk. And if you don't know anything about that, come and talk to me and I'll help you uh, connect with somebody who, um, who, who has been on the Emmaus walk. And maybe that's something you can do um, in the future as well. But uh, this story comes from Luke chapter 24. And the disciples were, this is right after, um, before, after Jesus had appeared to the women at the tomb, um, but before he had appeared to all the disciples. And there's some disciples, two of them, who are walking along the road and just discussing all the things that happened, um, Jesus' crucifixion. And, uh, and, and, and they're talking about it, and they're just, they're just crushed, as you can imagine. In, in this story, it says, uh, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And they say this to Jesus. Jesus kind of comes up as they're talking about these things and they're walking. And Jesus walks with them through the midst of that, that chaos and, and that difficulty and that um, just changing expectations about what God was doing in the world and about who Jesus is and about how God meets with us. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And so Jesus keeps walking with them and allowing them to explain how they've been displaced, how they've been, uh, how everything has been turned upside down, how the hopes they had for the way life was going to go had been changed completely by Jesus's death. And Jesus just walks with them and lets them tell that story and share it. And this is what he says then. After that, he, he, he listens to everything they say. And then he says, wow, but didn't you know that all that had to happen? And again, these, the disciples didn't know that this was Jesus walking with him, okay, with them. He said, didn't you know that had to happen? And from that point on, he explained, uh, verse 27, Luke 24, 27, uh, the beginning, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. Verse 28, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if they were going on as if he were going on, Jesus were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? The, the message translation, I, I love this, says, didn't we feel on fire as he opened the word and explained it to us? Didn't we feel on fire? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem and, and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together and they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed 
And he has appeared to Simon. And then they told them what had happened on the road and how Jesus had made himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. I love that story of how Jesus meets the disciples where they are in their chaos and in their confusion and in their grief and in their suffering and in their anger and in their frustration and in their dashed expectations about what in the world is God doing right now. Jesus meets them in that and just invites them to share, hey, what happened? What are you guys talking about? Jesus walks with them and allows them to, to vent their frustrations. Say, we, we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. And then Jesus, the word of God made flesh, opens the word to them and, and sets their hearts on fire. That's a, a Pentecost image, if ever there was one, right? We're not our hearts burning within us. Isn't the, the Spirit of God alive in us? The fire that burns inside us, explaining Jesus' salvation from the prophets all the way through, from Moses through the prophets all the way through to the end. And their hearts were on fire. That's how Jesus met them in the Word, met them in their reality. And that's how Jesus meets us today, too. They didn't recognize him until Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave thanks and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And this sets the story for communion. This sets the the expectation for the ways that God meets with us. This is why communion was such a big deal to the early church. Because when they gathered and when they met, their hearts were set on fire for the Lord. And somehow, in some mystery that no one can explain, Jesus is present in this meal with us. And he reminds us who we are as God's people. He reminds us of the entire salvation narrative that we participate in. We have been enslaved in Egypt and set free in the promised land by God. We have been the ones who have met Jesus And our hearts have been set on fire. And Jesus continues to to meet with us and to reassure us, hey, the end of the story, everything turns out just fine. And so no matter what it looks like right now, we meet and we gather for worship every week to be reminded of who God is, to worship God for everything that God has done throughout history to bring about salvation and renewal and new life and hope and resurrection, even in the darkest places. And this is where God reveals God's self and God's presence to us is through this meal. And so friends, I want to remind you of that this morning, that God meets us in this meal, wherever we are, whether we're anxious about school, whether this is Labor Day, maybe you have lost your job, maybe your job is uncertain and you don't know how in the world you're going to provide for yourself and your family. Maybe you have been affected by uh, the virus personally. Maybe you've had COVID or you know someone who has or you've lost a loved one or you know someone who has through this, through this terrible epidemic. God meets us there and says, have hope because I am with you. I was with you in the beginning and I am with you until the end and I will never leave you or forsake you. <clears throat> 